0: Welcome to First Bite, a divisional round first bite for the first time ever. Our Detroit Lions preview podcast, breaking down the second Lions playoff game this year. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer over at PrideOfDetroit.com. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me, as always, to help break down this divisional round matchup, is the senior editor of Pride of Detroit, is Ryan underscore Pod, and is of course Ryan Matthews. Ryan, how we doing today, buddy? I'm doing well. I like a lot of these firsts. I like having firsts
1: of podcasts. Yes. Um, th- these are fun. I like these. We should keep doing these.
0: Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping there's at least one. If there's two more in store, I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen with yeah. my brain here. Yeah. But uh, if you, if this is somehow your first time listening to our first bike previews, uh, it is not just going to be us talking. In fact, it's mostly not going to be us talking and that might be uh, a positive for some people uh, because we like to bring in a guest who has uh A perspective from the opponent's side of you, but in this case, this guest has a pretty good perspective on both sides of the aisle here. Uh, He is the host of the Audibles and Analytics podcast. He's uh, a host of the Yin's No Nose Ball podcast, which is not relevant to this uh, discussion, but is also, I just really wanted to say that podcast name. Uh, He was formerly uh, a Bucks beat writer for Pewter Report, our friends over there. And of course, he is the writer for our Pride of Detroit Direct newsletter, John Ledyard is here. John, how's it going, man? It's going well, Jeremy. Congrats on being officially
2: a a partial member of the Pittsburgh community (laughs) with the ability to say yins there. That is very, very (laughs) native to the land. So no surprise. You wanted to test it out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I had a buddy who lived in Pittsburgh for a few years, and uh, he he, he hit me to the slang. And I, I still don't understand it, but it's fascinating to me.
2: I don't understand it either. I grew up outside of Pittsburgh. I literally never say it, but I know it's common, so we used it in the name.
0: <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into this week's matchup, obviously, between the Lions and Bucks, And we like to kick things off by starting about the opponent's offense against the Lions defense. And we got to start with Baker Mayfield because one of those fascinating seasons for him, in a, in a lot of ways, it's almost like Jared Goff, a, a guy who's been cast away and, and have found kind of a second life here and in, in his career that said there has been uh, a relative amount of inconsistencies in his game this year it seems like you know it's kind of putting the week-to-week stats together and, and sometimes he's you know he throws for 300 yards and 120 pass rating the other week it's it's 117 and a 70 passer rating so I guess where would you say these inconsistencies kind of stem from with with Baker
2: I think for the most part, it's his ability to whether he handles pressure well or not game to game um, and really might be whether he escapes or not from pressure. Mm -hmm. The most inconsistent part about his game is the fact that he will um, sometimes under pressure go into hero mode. And he will try to create something and he's not that great of an athlete. And in college, he did this all the time, right? He was, right. he welcomed the chaos. Um, I remember Mark Schofield writing about that, even as a, as a prospect, when he would come out, he would just say like, he's the guy that loves to be chaotic and how he does things. And he thrives in that environment. He got to the NFL and he tried to play that way. And he found that he wasn't that type of athlete. He wasn't that type of off platform thrower. He couldn't live that improvisational life that other quarterbacks live um, with Tampa Bay. I think he's ultimately become pretty good from the pocket. He's in play action, right? And everything he's done from play action, which is really a new part of his game, wasn't – at least coming into the NFL, it became a new part of his game. wasn't something he was automatically great at um, because he didn't do it at a ton in college. He's still very good from the gun and those kinds of things. He can make every throw as long as he's on platform. He can make every throw. His arm's really strong, so there's a lot of positives to him. But really, everything kind of stems from how well he handles pressure game to game. There's times in which the ball's coming out quick, or there's a quarter in which the ball's coming out quick. It's on time. It's accurate. It's too, it's supposed to be. There's other times where he's like, Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want something more. I'm gonna double clutch this and I'm gonna pull it down. I'm gonna try and move him to make a play. I'm gonna get away from a sack. And I'm gonna, and when he lives that way, Honestly, early in the season, there were some good results playing that way, and it was like, "Oh man, Baker's actually doing something playing this way." And now, as the seasons progressed, you've seen the larger sample sizes kind of revealed the warts of times. He still has had a good year, escaping yeah. pressure, making some things happen with his legs. He's not really a great off-platform thrower. Like if he gets outside of the pocket, it's not really he's not really a second reaction second reaction quarterback to that degree. Uh, but it's not totally out of his wheelhouse either. So he's basically a rhythm passer. Mm. Uh, actually. Kind of similar to golf in that way um and probably the story of this game will be how the two of them handle pressure because both of their games can really fall apart in very different ways but both of their games can just kind of fall apart in the face of that
1: yeah i i find that interesting john and and looking at baker's stats i think what's interesting you know according to pro football focus when blitzed i mean clean 10 touchdowns zero interceptions one of the better quarterbacks this year against the blitz specifically i know i know a lot of quarterbacks they struggle when it's under pressure and there's four guys, right? Like any any quarterback's gonna struggle when, when you have that many guys that you can drop back. Um, but so to speak, I guess for this Lions defense, what what really is the way to to maybe get at Baker um if if the blitz isn't really working so well?
2: I think that they've got to win one-on-ones. The path for the Lions. Ultimately, it's kind of been, you know, Hutchinson being that good of a player, you know, I wrote that before the last game and talked about it on one of my other podcasts with Ollie Connolly. It was just like, man, if the Lions want to have a successful defense in the playoffs, it's probably going to stem from the fact that Hutchinson becomes the best player on the field. And it's hard to put that on one player. But ultimately right now, they don't have like another answer necessarily. I mean, Brian Branch is a really good player. I think their linebackers have been solid this season. Ali McNeil coming back from an injury is helpful, but they don't have like a difference maker's a corner. They don't have guys who I think like they don't have a collective unit. really in any level of their team that's like this unit's awesome you know what i mean they don't really have that at this point in the season like they're solid like at times you know but it's some ups and downs ebbs and flows to their play but hutchinson's the one guy where you're like just arrow pointing up every single week in the way that he plays and so that's where i'd say like he has to really be dominant as a 1v1 rusher for them to be able to be successful there's certainly ways of getting home with blitzes and pressures in this game but uh, and and Baker has been while he's been good against the blitz. It doesn't necessarily mean you know so far. Like if the Lions have a scheme that's that's right, if they have something drawn up that's uh, that that can challenge Tampa Bay's protections. The reasons they don't get blitzed a lot is a lot of time with just living in the play action game. Teams are hesitant to do that because if they're sending their linebackers, Baker's going to turn out have open windows over the middle of the field. So there's a lot of reasons why that hasn't worked that well uh, for teams this season. Um, Goff is has also been really good against the blitz, and so again we're just kind of seeing this this the 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 parallel journeys of these quarterbacks mm-hmm. and skill sets of these quarterbacks. While they're considered very different in how they play, like their demeanors and how they play in some ways, there honestly are a lot more similarities probably than not. And so I think if Detroit's going to be really successful in this game, getting pressure with four is kind of a is, is overused at this point. Everybody's trying to get pressure with four. That's how everybody would like to live if they can. The Lions' blitz rate has just really gone up, up, up the last couple. Of Weeks because they've realized that we oh, can't be that team. And Hutchinson is our hope when that happens. And uh, if we want to be able to get pressure now, Justin Houston looks like could be better. Ba- not Justin Houston, uh, um- James Houston. James Houston. Yeah. yeah. I'm getting my Houston edge rushers mixed up. <laughs> I've done um, it before too. Yeah. His eminent return could be really helpful because he's, I think they never really found a guy, right? They tried yeah. Bruce Irvin. They never really found a second guy um, that could even create like one V one at all. And and Houston definitely has that capability. Um, so the matchup within the game is going to be all the one-on-ones on the, on the line. And I think, and how those guys, how, whether those go in the line's favor or not. And that's, I think where this matchup gets so intriguing to break down.
0: Well, yeah, and I kind of want to get into a couple of those one-on-ones because on, at the tackles, that's where the Bucks' offensive line is obviously at its biggest strength. Like Worfs, I think, has the second best PFF pass blocking grade, and so him going up against a, a fresh but also very inexperienced James Houston seems to maybe probably favor Tampa Bay, although maybe who knows about fresh legs in January. Someone who hasn't played in, in four calendar months, um, maybe that has some sort of advantage. And then I'm just kind of curious as your thoughts on, on Hutchinson's chances at, at, at you know, he's not always going to be lined up opposite Gadecki, but that's probably going to be his most common matchup. So how how do you like the matchup there?
2: Last time they played, uh, they matched up 14 times, Sigeke mm-hmm. and um, Hutchinson. And... Gediky really won the matchup, which shocked me. I did not think that would be the case going into the game. I was really surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of Gediky's like biggest game at that point. He was a terrible left guard his rookie season, and has become a very good right tackle, like very solid right tackle. I would say he de- he dealt pretty well with what Hutchinson brings to the table because at the time, I think Hutchinson was really figuring out what's his go to moves, and you know, just not to get too in the nitty gritty, but I've talked about pass rushers and the four pillars of pass rush athleticism. Kind of being my guide as I evaluate and scout pass rushers. One of those being burst off the ball, speed up the arc, bend or flexibility at the top of the arc, and then how quickly you change direction. Those four things. If you don't have those as a pass rusher, at least two of them usually, it's really hard to be a great prospect. I think. And Hutch was such a great, interesting evaluation because at the early part of his career at Michigan, he couldn't get off the ball. Like he was just very, he was very slow off the ball. It was almost all. Power snuff. I'm bigger, I'm stronger than you. And he, remember, he was a late bloomer as a prospect, just in general. Nobody thought of him as a top five guy. People liked him. He went back his last year, and his last year was where he jumped into that conversation. And then it became increasingly clear game to game, there was very little consistency with how he got off the ball. And he wasn't the fastest guy up the arc, though he just was relentless in his pace of play for sure. And so he, and he's never had great bender flexibility. So he became a hard prospect in that I loved what I watched on tape but I didn't think he checked the boxes of traits that would typically translate to a high-end player in the NFL at that position. So I was kind of like my philosophy that had guided me in years of draft evaluation against my gut instinct that was just like, this guy's going to freaking figure it out because he's just so tough and he plays so hard and he loves the game. And I was like, at least he can get to like a solid pass rusher level. And this year he just found that he is so good at spin moves that he can build his arsenal out of the thing. And there, there isn't another player in the league that plays that way even if you think of the great spin move players everson griffin is probably the closest comparison um to, to hutchinson just if you're looking at trajectory skill set hutch could be a better three down player maybe but Griff was just kind of like this player who was like, he didn't really have this unbelievable bender flexibility, but he had great size and he he had enough good snaps where he got off the ball fast. And Hutch has been all over the place in that regard. Last year, I think he had one of the lowest, slowest get-offs in the league. This year, there were games where it was real high and it's kind of fluctuated. And a lot of that's just jumping the snap, I think. But that's going to be the key for him. So Hutch's key is getting can he get off the ball? If he gets off the ball well, he's a force because he when he gets that jump off the arc, tackles are oversetting and that's when he opens up that spin move to come back. Inside. Getekee has handled that well, but I think Hutchinson's a much better player than them when they met in week six. So it's going to be a whole nother challenge for him. When Gedicke's lost this year, it's been around his outside edge. When Hutch has won the most this year, it's been inside when he's on the inside crossing the face of tackles. So interesting dichotomy of styles. I'm very interested how it plays out. Hutchinson uh, went against Wurfs like twice, I think, on two reps. Wurfs was kind of uh, still adjusting the left side and was a little banged up at that point. I think he almost got Wurfs with a spin. The ball came out fast. It would have been interesting to see the rep play out. But Wurfs is actually probably, although he's far better than Gideke, maybe more susceptible on tape to an inside spin because Wurfs is just unbelievable at keeping guys from beating him around the edge. It just almost never happens. So he might be one that you can catch oversetting once in a while. He's also quick to redirect and run you down the line of scrimmage, but there's your way too long answer. Basically, on how Hutchinson matches up with both those guys, and I only say that because I nerd out over edge rushers versus tackles and find the skill and technique part of the matchup just really fascinating.
1: That's going to be huge, though. Like you said, Jan, like the winning the one on ones, and I think that if you know not to you know not to distill it down to something too basic, but I mean football is a lot of one on one stuff, and especially when you get a, a defense that's so reliant on their edge rushers like Hutchinson getting pressure. Um, you know, it, it's a big part of the calculus to, to kind of, you know, getting after Baker and, and and slowing down this Tampa Bay offense. I, I think what is also really interesting is this interior group of offensive linemen for, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in terms of how they work as a unit, um, you know giving up a lot of pressures on, along the interior um you know Tampa Bay isn't the best run blocking team either um what what can you kind of make of you know Tampa Bay's struggles in in pass protection and, and run blocking and and where do you see maybe there being an opportunity for the lions to take advantage um along the interior there
2: yeah, uh, Aaron Stinney's the weakest link, the left guard and pass protection especially. That was Matt Filer, I think, in this first matchup, actually, Matt Filer started for Tampa Bay at left guard, and now it's Stinney at left guard. Um it's been rough enough for Stinny lately that I wouldn't be shocked if they went back to Filer I, I, it would be a little bit just because they don't tend to make those changes if they're winning it's kind of that whole football mantra if you win games nobody needs to be benched and as soon as you lose one then so we'll see what they end up doing with Stinny if they end up going with him or Filer Stinney's definitely he, he competes his tail off you know he tries really hard and he's been an upgrade in the run game but in pass protection he can definitely struggle lines don't have a type that he really struggles with too much McNeil is a really good player he can overpower any of them like if he catches them Right. Um, Mauk has been the one that's very up and down, you know, his best reps and he's had real tough matchups all season. So the numbers there should be taken with a grain of salt. He's coming from North Dakota State playing left tackle to playing right guard in the NFL, starting every single game as a rookie. It's been way more good than bad. But there have been bad too. Like there can be reps where he gets overwhelmed. His biggest issue is in pass protection. He'll set his hands too wide. And so guys get into his frame. He already probably has a strength disadvantage. He needs to, I think his body will need development time in the offseason, just coming from the program he did and just being a little undersized. Like that's probably his biggest. But he he when he gets his hands right, he competes so hard and he's so physical that he can win his fair share of reps. I mean, he's had battles this year with with Buckner. He's had battles with um with uh, Fletcher Cox just in this past game like he's he's really competed all season and he's lost some of those but he'll win some too and look really impressive on tape at times as well it's really all about consistency of technique for him movement skills wise he's got everything that you kind of want at the position um, so it's just a matter of him he's got to develop strength in the offseason and right now it's just about he's got to become a really good technician in order to be good at that position um, so both those guys can be beaten for sure on a rep to rep basis the right side has done a better job with stunts and twists this year which I know the Lions obviously like to run uh, the left side has actually struggled a little more, not worth's fault, but just to rotating bodies at left guard. And they just haven't quite been on the same level all the time and communication and passing off those players. So that would be the side I test more with the stunts. The other interesting bit is that John Kaminsky gave Luke Geticky uh, actually a hard time, harder her time than Hutchinson last game. The, the bull rush really was something that Gedicki wasn't quite prepared for. So he'll be more prepared for it. Um both Gettucky and Malk are, are are dogs. Like they're the kind of guys that you want. Actually, everybody in the box. Jason Light doesn't draft offensive linemen unless they'll get after it. <laughs> um, so they'll all compete like that. Um, but I would be really, I'm just it's, watching get play is always fun because there's a physical edge to everything that he does. And I think Kaminsky brings that as well. So those two, if they tango could be a fun matchup. Um, and I think Benito Jones, actually, I don't know where his status is for this, but he actually had a good game last time they played. Yeah. I don't know if he's in the mix that much with some of the guys that are back. Um, but I think he could be, he was one that had a, a decent game last time they played, I believe.
0: Well, we we kind of touched on the run game a little bit and, you know, by by the books, by the, the, the stats, it seems like an obvious, you know, edge here in, in the line's favor. You, you know, they've been a top five run defense all season. Bucks have been a bottom five run offense most of the season. I know they've they've played particularly better recently. Um, is that kind of how you expect that matchup to play out? And if so, are the Bucks just perfectly happy just being like, all right, we'll throw it 40 times this game? Or are they going to be a team that's committed to to the run, even if it's not working right away? They should be happy and content to throw the football. Um, you guys
2: have watched the Lions secondary. It's been a, a little <laughs> yeah. bit of an adventure. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, we get it. Yeah, you guys know. I also think that Tampa Bay, last time they played Detroit, try wrote this in, in the Proud of Draw newsletter, actually, that, the, that Lions fans should be just a little bit careful and cautious about how – excited they get about the because t- the team was playing really well at that point but i was like the one thing caution is just secondary wise this team has some real struggles and there were a lot of plays that the bucks just missed in that yeah. game on that matchup like they left i mean baker mayfield was two of ten on 20 plus air yard throws and so uh in some of those i mean trey palmer should had 150 in this game for the box of the lions now branch didn't play will harris did play so that's a big swing right there to <laughs> itself. <laughs> yep, itself. There's a division by subtraction. But anyway, I think that that is a big part of the matchup, obviously, because Branch is their best player in the secondary. Chauncey Garner-Johnson also did not play in that one. Uh, that will be an improvement and help for them, too. Um, so it will be a different matchup, I think, also. Bombers just even better and Baker's playing. That was probably Baker's worst game of the year right. was against Detroit. And I think some of that was just things Detroit did, but I actually felt like the offensive line played well for Tampa. A lot of it was just Baker's missed throws that he that he, that he had at times. Honestly, he's missed this season. He could miss him again in this game. I, I don't know. He's not been a great deep ball thrower this season. He's had games where he's been um, and his career says he's fine at it, but it's been inconsistent this season. That is going to be the key for the Bucs. If they can hit the splash plays down the field, it's not going to matter that much that they don't run the ball that well. This past game, they went out against Philadelphia and they were 75% early downs pass rate and that was a big reason why they won because they've been throughout the season one of the higher run rate teams on first down and one of the higher run run pass teams on first second third down uh they're i think they actually lead the league in run run pass snaps uh this year possessions this season um series so that is going to be something they have to stay away from if they can play sequence better they give themselves a chance but if they are burning first down to the ground on every single possession against a detroit defensive line that is not going to be taken a bit the bucks are not going to run all over detroit like i've watched them play all season they also just send their linebackers which can make them susceptible to play action at times for sure but they'll just trigger those guys downhill so it's going to be a losing proposition for tampa bay if they try to go out and establish the run early and, and they need to stick with a heavy pass first philosophy on first down if they do they have a chance because there's space to be taken advantage of against the Lions. but detroit definitely has a massive advantage there in the run game
1: and, and where they have a massive disadvantage, John, as you mentioned, uh, a much maligned secondary. And, and like you said, they're going to have some different faces than they did uh, mm-hmm. in, in week six. But again, this is Mike Evans and it's Chris Godwin. And there's some other options that are going to be available. You know, you mentioned Trey Palmer, Kate Otten. These are some other guys that the Lions cannot sleep on. They cannot take lightly. Um, where do you see the area of concern there? and And maybe kind of, dovetail that into this idea that against the Rams, a guy like Puka Nakua is just a yak and and just a tough guy to get down. Um not really those options with with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, not really yak guys. More so, hey, I'm bigger, I'm a good route runner, I'm gonna get my spot and I'm gonna catch the ball. Where's the difference in, you know, the way that the Rams just absolutely took advantage of the Lions secondary. How might it look a little bit different against Tampa Bay this week?
2: Yeah, that part will be different. Um this is a pretty aggressive passing attack. They will throw the ball down the field a lot. It doesn't mean they throw nine routes all the time, though. It's not necessarily that, but they'll throw deep crossers. They've got lots of – they've got leak in their in their package. They're going to throw a lot at you concept-wise. You're not going to watch them and say, oh, I see the same route. Con-. This isn't the Bucks of Byron Leftwich, Bruce Arians. Like, this is a lot of different route concepts, a lot of different spacing. They're going to have a couple new things every game. Um, Dave Canals has been very innovative, very aggressive with the passing attack. They like to get lots of guys out in the past in the in the past game as well. They're not going to necessarily keep a ton in to protect. Um, if you look the last couple of weeks of the season, I bet amongst across the league, they had five protection more than anybody else. So mm. they're gonna th- so if you blitz, they're basically like, we've got a guy to get the ball out to. So they feel pretty confident in their hot game and they feel like that Baker's gonna find one of the eligibles and somebody's gonna get open if they give them enough options. So they've been pretty successful spreading the ball this season and and uh working from the gun. They do go under center. Their play action game is very good when they do it. It's tailed off this year, but they went back 30% a plus against Philly and were really successful with it again. So it's it's a weapon they have in the arsenal, sort of like Detroit. Detroit, you know, Goffs leaned on it at times, but this year they've moved sort of away from it. It feels like everybody has actually, I don't really know what's going on because it's still really successful across the league, but teams aren't running it quite as much, as it feels like this season as they as they were. Um, so that will be one of the keys is kind of in this game who gives up the most off-play action, where a teams susceptible off that. But I'd struggle to see where Detroit has the matchups kind of, if you know, the lions have been not as man coverage heavy as they were last year under Aaron Glenn, but still like to play man coverage. And there hasn't really been a coverage that's worked for them. Like, so it's, it's not like they can really hang out on any one thing. Um, I think this season Baker has done a pretty good job against all coverages. It's not like there's a, there's a tell there early in the year. It was like, is he going to be able to throw in the middle of the field? Now that's not even a question. Like he's throwing in the middle of the field pretty consistently. Bucks have done a great job of giving him those big pockets. The, the, the way they set. And just in general, like they're, te- they have big wide pockets for him. So he's got throwing lanes. Cause he's not that tall. Um, so that's a key. Those are key things to look for, I think, but ultimately I don't think Detroit's going to have the guys. So it's going to be about execution um, branch who he matches up with Godwin will be in the slot some but you know you're not going to just match man up the slot all game long I think with those two so there'll be reps of that I have I've like pondered in my head like could branch play outside corner like for a couple weeks like could they just make it happen because of the other but Vildor honestly hasn't played that bad like you know and Jared Jacobs was there last time I believe these two teams played so that'll be another new face I think Vildor's been okay like he just has to make plays on the ball. Like that's the biggest thing. I was thing saying
0: with, the like, same thing on, on Twitter this week. I'm like, it's ah. like his
2: controller breaks when the ball.
0: <laughs>
1: it, in, in Detroit, John, we call it Nevin Lawson syndrome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a good comparison. I watched Nevin Lawson get chewed up by Tom Brady when he was a Raider. So I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. A bunch of, bunch of catch point losses in that one. So that would be, I'd say like, they, like, can they make some plays on the ball? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. Cam Sutton, I'm surprised how bad he's played because obviously I'm, I'm a Steeler guy. And so I have watched him in Pittsburgh his whole career. I've seen every Damn, snap man. he's played. I'm surprised it's been this bad. I don't remember it ever being this bad in Pittsburgh. And I, I was even trying to figure out schematically why that is. And it just feels like like the double moves like all year, like he's letting guys behind him. He's, he doesn't look fast at all. Like, I mean, it's it's been a real mystery why that one hasn't worked out. And obviously not having Mosley is hurt. So, I really don't know what the answer is for Detroit coverage wise. I tried to write early in the season like maybe they should do more of this and then they did that and it was bad and I was like I don't know, but <laughs> they they need Kirby Joseph to take the ball away. And that's yeah. when they're better but be- like they need to force turnovers. That's it. I mean, they need Branch, they need they need some of these guys to take and having Johnson, Garner Johnson with that helps, but they need to get one or two from Baker cuz it's hard to believe they're going to totally shut down the passing attack of the of the Bucks and they need to get Baker to make one or two mistakes. Baker's had 25 turnover worthy plays this season. Like he has to put the ball in arm's way. He hasn't been caught that often, only 10 picks this year, but he will put the ball in arm's way once or twice almost every single game. And so you have to
0: take advantage of those opportunities, I think, if you're Detroit. Man, the more we talk about this matchup, the more I realize that there are going to be so many more different faces that the Bucs are going to have to face because we, we didn't even mention if Atu and, and how no, well he's yeah. playing too. And he's right. going to get a, a plenty of, of looks in the secondary too. So it's, it's going to be fascinating, you know, the. It, like you said on the surface it looks like the Lions held up pretty well uh, in last matchup they, they only hold them to six, held them to six points but as you mentioned uh, I think we all remember some of the big shots in that game that, that probably should have been that that weren't in it um, so could look a very different and for, for total different reasons I mean Baker's also obviously playing a lot better as you mentioned as well but let's take a break we're going to come back and then we're going to flip it around we're going to talk about the Lions offense going up against this Bucks defense when we come back here on the divisional round version of First Byte. We'll be right back.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
0: And we are back here on First Bite with John Ledyard of Pride of Detroit Direct, our, our subscriber newsletter. Uh, you can subscribe now at com slash subscribe. 30% off with, I think it's NFC North 30, as in they haven't won the NFC North in 30 years save yourself 15 bucks. Is that what that really is born out of? Yeah, of course it is. It's very clever. I'm, ha- I'm happy for the discount. <laughs> all, right, all right. You don't. Next year, the it'll be
2: won, right? Next year, the discount will be one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you got to get it now. because Save 29%. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get to the Lions offense going up against this Bucks defense. Ah, uh, Todd Bowles, obviously the the heart and soul of this team. He's been the defensive coordinator, or defensive play caller since what twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. Now, now he's obviously the head coach, but still the play caller. So, um, you know, I think they they pride themselves much like the Lions in in stopping the run. Um, they've been awesome at it for just about every year that Bowles has been there, and this year is no exception. So what has been the key to that? How, how are they so good at stopping the run? And do you think the lions have any chance at maybe cracking that this week considering how good they are at it?
2: Yeah, they definitely do. Um, You know, they've been good at stopping the run for sure, but a lot of it's that nobody runs the ball on him because you can throw on them. So that's been some okay. of the struggle sure. with them this season. Um, they, they have bodies to stop the run for sure, but they've been figuring out who's playing a linebacker next to Levante David. You know, Devin White playing a smaller role has helped the run defense a lot because mm-hmm. he's not very good. Um, and so uh, KJ Britt's been a big upgrade there. Um, however, Devin White is still going to be in the mix here, and so you know he still plays. I think he played last game, but he only had one snap against the run because the Philly was behind, and so it was kind of like time for him to go into the game then. He blitzes like crazy when he's in the game. Um, He is a very good blitzer because he's kind of like point him in a direction and just have him go as fast as as he can, and that's kind of what he does. Um, Ask him to think the game, and it gets a lot more difficult for Devin White. And so if you could take advantage of him, I think that's good. How much is he going to play in this game is probably like one of my big questions, because if he plays a lot, he's the player to attack. But if he doesn't play a lot, he, I don't know what that means about, the, about what Tampa Bay is going to do, because they haven't blitzed Goff like crazy. Now, Goff has had a lot of success throughout his career against Todd Bulls. and I don't know if Lions fans necessarily recognize that yet, but... When he played for the Rams, he played very well against Bulls. Uh, You know, he only played a couple times, but every time he put up huge numbers, he made really tough throws. He handled the blitzes really well. Last time when they played in week six, uh, Bulls blitzed him 42% of the time, and he was 10 to 19. There was a drop in there, I think. He threw for 171 yards and two touchdowns against the Blitz. So uh, be pretty careful about how you approach him in that way. Goff is, I think, one of the most misunderstood players in the league. He is excellent in the pocket. He has excellent pocket presence. I tweeted this the other day and Lions fans and non-Lions fans lost their minds. They couldn't believe that I made this comment about Jared Goff. They're like, what? And I don't know how many people have like watched him closely enough. They just kind of, everybody kind of thinks of Goff as just this complete coward. And so like, as soon as anything happens with the pocket, he's just like a mess. That can be true to a degree as in like, if he is actually under pressure, like under siege and has nowhere to go with the football. Yes, it can be a complete disaster. Like nobody goes from 100 to zero more than him in that situation. However, he keeps himself out of, if you watch the first half of the Raiders game, they could not block Max Crosby. They could not block anybody early in that game. Like, it was a mess in the in the beginning stages of that game. They figured it out. But Goff kept them afloat because he just kept getting the ball out before people could get him. His pocket movement, little subtle steps. Yeah. He would crop, crop up in the pocket a little bit and keep guys from getting pressure around the edge. He knows where he's in the pocket. He's very consistent about where he is in the pocket. And because of that, it makes him easier to protect for. So while I think the Lions offensive line is good, I think Jared Goff actually creates a lot of the situations that they're in. He's one of the least pressured quarterbacks in the league this season, and he's one of the least sacked quarterbacks in the league basically every year that he's been in the league. And that's a reason. It's not just that he's played all behind offensive lines. He's a big part of that. So Bull's whole quandary this week is how do I get to that guy? Without blitzing because they'll beat the blitz and because the Lions just have so many, they have too many things to beat the blitz. I mean, they just have so many answers. How do I get to that guy without blitzing like I just did to Jalen Hurts? Like Todd Bowles just had the game of his life. Like he wants to blitz at the highest rate in the league. The Eagles couldn't do anything against the blitz. They have absolutely zero answers in their scheme. They had no, nothing they could do whatsoever, so Bulls just went crazy. So can he dial it back from that and have a much more measured, different game plan this week? Because nothing he did against Philly is going to work. That doesn't work against a team like Detroit. They're way too well coached. They're way too uh, co- cohesive as a unit. Goff is just way more quick in terms of how he makes decisions. They've got more answers in their concepts. It's never going to work. So he's got to dial back what he does and get pressure with four. That hasn't been a very successful approach for Tampa Bay this season. They're actually not one of the higher pressure teams in the league, even when they blitz. And they blitz at one of the highest rates in the league. So who wins the 1v1s? Can Kalaja Cancy be make a difference? Last time they played, Canty, I believe it was his first game, I think coming back from injury. He was actually pretty, pretty solid in that game. But he's been even better. Like he was one of the best players in the field against Philly. Can he make a difference? Vea is who he is, but there will be a couple reps every game where he gives you problems and condenses the pocket. They don't really have a great edge rusher. Um, Jack Barrett has fallen off a little bit. Uh, He's just really good all around player still, but not a great one V one rusher. Sewell, And him, that matchup, I'm not going to get too into the details with you guys because we'll be here forever, but that's a fascinating one. Sewell is not necessarily the greatest technician in pass protection, but he is just so overwhelming in terms of his traits. And Barrett is the opposite. All technique and has really no physical traits that's why nobody ever thought he'd be good um he's his body doesn't look like an nfl I treasure body really but he's found ways to be successful because of technique and mental processing and stuff so very interesting dichotomy of styles there similar to the right side for uh tampa and tampa bays on offense and then on the other side it's been joe trying it's been yaya diaby uh lately has been playing much better he's not a great pass rusher he's just kind of a good all-around player he doesn't have a huge arsenal or anything like that as a pass rusher so we'll see See, I think the Lions have the advantage there one on ones, but I'm really interested to see how Kansi challenges those guards who have been good this season. But Jonah Jackson can get beat in pass protection like there's options there for them. Um, and I think Kansi could be, if he can be great, it's the difference maker for the Bucs. If he isn't great, they won't win enough one V ones and the Lions will probably have uh, Goff very comfortable in the pocket.
1: Yeah. And I, I think John, what, what might be the most fascinating part of this, this matchup to go back to to what Jeremy started with in terms of the lions running the football. Right. I mean, like this was the, the the low point of the Lions' season when it came to running the football, 40 yards was by far their lowest total of the season because they effectively had to abandon the run. You know, David Montgomery gets hurt in the second quarter. Jameer Gibbs was inactive with an injury. You know, Craig Reynolds is leading the way with 10 carries. Um, but with Tampa Bay's defense, you know, being predicated on, yeah, we, we can stop the run. We love to stop the run. It's not like they've been immune, right? I mean, they've given up 130 plus yards uh, to to five teams this season um, or, or in five instances, twice against the Carolina Panthers. And Lions fans know all about the Carolina Panthers' ability to run the football all over teams. Um, what What I find... It's long enough in the past, Jeremy, that we can we can we can celebrate other things. uh, Um,
0: Over a year old wounds.
1: Yeah, it's hardly a scab. Um, (laughs) The the thing I found interesting, John, kind of digging into the stats, um, a lot of zone running for for teams that had success against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This Lions team. I mean, it's so diverse, right? I mean, they have all these different kinds of run styles, zone gap, doesn't matter, whatever. Um, Do you see that? Do you see an opportunity for this Lions offense to just move the ball at will and and play off the run game and let Goff just, you know, eat when it comes to play action and and doing some things? Because I feel like 20 points, there's some there's some meat left on the bone from week six.
2: Yeah, because Jameer Gibbs, he's that good. I mean, people don't understand, I think, because he hasn't gotten enough carries. But he might be the best running back in the NFL already. And I know people will balk at that and be like, oh, so and so's done been doing it for longer. But tell me who's harder to tackle than Jameer Gibbs. Tell me what his weakness is as a running back because his vision's outstanding. If nobody could pick on that, they run every concept in the book and he runs them well. So what is he bad at? We know he can catch. He makes everybody miss. He breaks tackles. Nobody runs harder. His acceleration is the best in the league. Like, I don't understand. Like, to, I was the biggest B. John Robinson fan on the planet coming out of college, and I'm like, not sure I'd take him over Jameer Gibbs if you asked me who I'd want for the next five years. Like, I, huh. he is that much of a difference maker, and very few players move the needle enough at running back to be that much of a difference maker. But because he is the way that he is, like, it's it changes the whole thing. He didn't play last time they played. If Detroit doesn't run the ball better in this game, I'll I'll hang it up. I'll quit because that's <laughs> how good I think he can be, and how much of a difference I think he makes. So they'll run the ball better. Tampa Bay's got to stop it from being out of control, I think. And that ultimately could be a huge part of this game because the Lions aren't going to get away from who they are, I believe, as a team that will run the ball in early downs, or run the ball in third and long, or run the ball in second and long. like, <laughs> And guess what? It's worked for them. They've been really diverse in their approach their concepts they get teams into um, light boxes in those situations I mean sometimes it's just automatic but they feel like if we get you in a light box you cannot stop us when we run to the right because Sewell's that good um, just overall and Ragno's that good on the move uh, moving out to the right so they just have a lot of ways to attack you in the run game their backs are all very good I was clamoring for more Craig Reynolds and then I just realized Dan Montgomery's just awesome like he's just such a stud all around player and he's the heart and soul and you need And, but Reynolds is great. And so, I mean, last game, he obviously sent Carlton Davis to an early grave. And so like, this is going to be like all those guys can play, but Gibbs is just a total difference maker. I mean, it just gets lost because they have so many other weapons and he doesn't get a million carries, but he is a special, special player in this league. And I think people have compared him to Jamal Charles. I like it I think it makes complete sense to me hopefully he avoids the injuries that plagued Charles but he is just um he's an awesome awesome football player and any way you use him he's been successful this season and they haven't even done a lot of the things they talked about you know they said oh, we're right. gonna reinvent them they, no he pretty much just does swing screens and runs you know very basic stuff for a running back but if they ever decide we want to get him vertical and stretch the field and run the seams and teams are gonna have no idea like you run him on a vertical from the backfield when a linebacker is assigned to him it's over like yeah. you're gonna have you're gonna have points so i just think that as they expand what he's able to do team you're gonna people around lee you're gonna start to be like this guy might be one of the best weapons in football and
0: that could happen in the playoffs and it could be what propels the lines forward well first of all i want to throw some appreciation at you for bringing up that craig reynolds block not enough people are bringing that up as as a great memory seeing as it's bucks week <laughs> but uh but yeah no i think that's that's very insightful too because yeah it and sometimes you think, like, oh, it's just a running back. Like, what, yeah. how big of a difference can he make compared to last week or last time these two teams faced? But like, they haven't seen Jameer Gibbs. It's not, it's not just that he didn't play last. They have never seen him other than, you know, on the tape. And, and he's one of those players where the tape doesn't do him justice sometimes in terms of like being able to actually tackle him on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, him and Debo, right? They're the darkest two right. guys stack the league, I would say, right now, if you ask me. Yeah, 100%. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the Bucks secondary. Obviously there's Antoine Winfield jr. Who's having an outstanding season and just about everyone. On Twitter is mad that he didn't make the pro bowl. Um, but what can you kind of reach beyond that and, and see and, and tell us how capable you think they are of limiting at least some of the lions weapons, considering how the, the massive amount that the Lions have.
2: Yeah, barely played man coverage last time the teams met. I think like 17% man coverage of their snaps, so maybe like eight snaps. Uh didn't didn't do it much. Um need to do it probably more if they want to have a shot. Is it gonna work? <laughs> I don't know. They're actually not bad, bad talent-wise. The problem with with Tampa Bay is the same thing. That's the good thing with Tampa Bay is that you kind of know what they're you're going to get every snap. They're not going to like fool you that much. But if they get to the quarterback and if they create turnovers, they're successful. And that's like whole, the whole thing with Bulls. Like he doesn't care about how many yards they give up. Like they'll play off and give up yards because he thinks eventually you'll get frustrated and you'll throw one at one of their players, or they'll get to you on a blitz and they'll put you behind the sticks and it'll be over. And then they'll get to the red zone too. Tampa Bay's great in the red zone yeah. this season, and and they they'll lock it down when the space condenses. And so they really don't really care that much about the art. So like you can definitely move the ball against Tampa Bay. It's going to be whether you can execute, I think in the red area uh, is a big part of it. Um, they play a lot of cover three. They play a lot of single high safety. Sometimes they'll start with two and rotate to one. Um, so they're, you're, you're not going to get a lot of physical bump and run coverage, despite the fact that both their corners were press man corners and, and in, in college, I've never quite understood why they don't do it more. Both corners have publicly said, we'd like to do it more and it just never really happened, but they both resigned in Tampa Bay. So I don't, you know, look, guys. It's, on, it's on them at this point, but Bulls can be um, the most exciting DC and the most frustrating DC, um, obviously head coach, but defensive play caller right. um, week to week. You, you, know, you get a game like Philly where a team has no answers and every blitz hits and you get a free runner all game and it looks so good. You're just like, wow, this guy's a genius. He's so aggressive. He gets after people. He could do that and his guys could get could get racked. You know what i mean like every the, the ball could be coming on every blitz could be getting picked up and beat against teams that know what the heck they're doing philly didn't and so that is a, a big part of it too is that like there is such a dichotomy with him like he he will do the same thing a lot of the time and it's whether it hits or it doesn't a lot of time like there's not a lot of change-ups in his in his defense especially in his coverage scheme he has pulled him out of times, won a Super Bowl with one of the best game plans I've ever seen. If you ask me, like a one off, like if you just picked his best five game plans over the last five years, I would be like, man, this guy, like, here it is right here. Like, I'd be able to point to each game and I'd tell you what it is week to week it can be really inconsistent and whether it works or not, and whether a lot of the things that he tries to do uh, work or not, very different from like a Kansas city, for example, who's going to run some different all the time. And it looks good pretty much every week. And their players just execute an unbelievably high level. Tampa Bay will have lots of coverage bus. Their players don't necessarily communicate that well in the secondary, despite having played together for a long time. Um, So there's frustrations at time with Tampa and how predictable they are coverage wise and how beatable they are in certain areas. You, You think they'd be way better in the middle of the field and they're not which is a huge concern because that's where golf wants to throw the football every single time. They've got to figure out a plan for that. They've got to play two more two high safeties. They're still trying to figure out who their other safety is. Zion McComb played strong safety in this past game. He has been a corner his whole career. Uh he just popped in there for the playoffs at safety and then they got away with it. He was barely tested. And so we'll see. If he plays, if he gets tested way more, but it's just, a I just don't see any way that Tampa Bay is going to keep Detroit from scoring lots of points. Their success is going to have to come on the other side of the ball, I think, when they've got the ball because it's a really good matchup for the Lions offense. And I think as much as we talk about Tampa Bay left meat on the bone in the last matchup, so did Detroit. They were 0 for 2 in the red zone. They missed some opportunities as well in that game offensively. They, they could have been much more successful. They didn't have Gibbs. That's a huge deal. So I... I think that is going to be the part that gets overlooked by some people is that both of these teams, like that 26, it was kind of a snoozer was the most aesthetically pleasing game of the season with the creamsicles and the baby blues It was unbelievable. 100%. But the actual football wasn't as good. Like the execution wasn't as good by any team as it could be. And I think, uh, I'm hoping that we get more of them peak offensive execution in this upcoming game.
1: I think John too, you mentioned the, um, just the turnovers, right? Like, like, if you can force Baker into a turnover or two, I mean, that's going to change the complexion of this game. But th- this Bucks defense, I mean, they got off to a torrid pace. They had 10 takeaways through four games, and then it just kind of plateaued. It was, I think it was 16 takeaways over their last 13 games. So, like, what was the recipe for the hot start? Was it just a, a stroke of luck? And is this a team that really doesn't force turnovers? Because we've seen the way to beat the Lions offense is to – You know, pressure Jared Goff. Get him to fumble the football. Get him to make a bad decision and, and throw a ball that he shouldn't throw. Like can Tampa capitalize on that in a way that, you know, makes sense for their defense this week?
2: it can yeah I mean turnovers tend to be very unpredictable when they come and when they go like it, it tends to be hot stretches I think just across the league and so I think that that was kind of what you were on early in the season uh, their corners really haven't produced enough turnovers over the past couple of years you know they, some of them they need to catch better for sure but also you know Carl Davis is a running joke in Tampa that he doesn't have very good hands and so you know they have dropped some picks and and some opportunities to make plays have if, if slipped them by they're also just not but when you play as off coverage as they do they give up a lot of stuff under you're not going to necessarily make a ton of plays that way. You need quarterbacks to throw the ball down the field. And it's really, I mean, Goff, most of his turnovers this year have come in the middle of the field, to you know, linebackers that you didn't see or something like that. And so that's really gonna be the playmaking where the playmaking needs to come not really been how tampa bay has won. you know it's funny because levante david is such a good coverage linebacker but he's almost a better man coverage linebacker than zone partially because they ask him to do so much in zone with how many single high looks they have he just has to cover a lot of space and so that's made it really it's really hard to just cover that much ground as any linebacker and you're actually covering uh, i continue to say that linebackers and coverage are one of the like most ridiculous parts of the game we're asking the the least of all coverage players, the least talented coverage players, usually are linebackers, and they are playing and they have to protect, they have to guard against routes that are happening behind them, and we expect them to be successful. Like. That is insane. Like, And so that is one of the things for Tampa Bay, the way that their offense, their defense is structured behind the linebackers. There's a lot of space to move into in those zones kind of down the seams. And so they give up a lot of completions in that areas of the field, kind of just outside the numbers and just inside the numbers, depending on the look. So that's where I would say like they can be taken advantage of. Um, and I think in terms of turnovers, you, you, yeah, you'd like to get some, but there isn't like one guy on this team that force a ton. Winfield's forced the most because as a blitzer, he's gotten a couple of strip sacks. That's the best path for Tampa Bay is still getting what the blitzes you send can they hit and can they can you create a splash play um, they haven't created a ton outside of when they blitzed and when they've created splash plays that way so yeah they're gonna I mean that was that's gonna be huge for either team that goes for the same in any game I think that you play in uh, uh, Baker's turnover per the plays percentage is a little bit higher than golf's this season but you know we've seen golf do it before we have seen him have the unravel game at some point and I've actually been a huge proponent of golf Jeremy knows is reading my stuff <laughs> every week that i read really, yeah. i'm always like man people misunderstood this guy like he's the elite quarterback no but he's a, just a very good quarterback like and so and i think that a lot of the time people are looking so much for the sexy out of structure guy like you could see it last game right like right The game is happening. Golf's playing great. Nobody says a word about goth As soon as he had the one play where Aaron Donald had him in the grass and he (laughs) threw the ball back, and like it was a bad play, but everybody in Twitter loses their mind. They can't wait to take their shot. And I'm always just like, what about all the good stuff he did? What about he ripped that dig route to Josh Reynolds? Like that throw was sick. Yeah, we don't celebrate that. He needs to
0: be looking in the opposite direction for yeah. Like. (laughs)
2: It's crazy. He's just very good, and um, I think that that's going to be something that Tampa is going to have to contend with uh, is just just the the complete mastery kind of that he has of playing the quarterback position within structure is just yeah. going to be very difficult. When you ask him to get of structure, it's a different story, but within structure, he really has a great sense of what he wants to do against lots of looks down to down, and that consistency is
0: a real weapon for Detroit. All right. I think it's time to move to our prediction portion of the podcast, the thing that we call— The one thing we think we know where we make a prediction about the game. It can be a winner. It can be the score. It could be any aspect of the game. Ryan, you're going to kick us off as always, because why would we break tradition at this point? What is the one thing you think you know about Lions Buccaneers?
1: I think the one thing I think I know, based on some uh, pretty quick research on my part, um, I think the Detroit Lions fans force three false starts oh the tampa bay buccaneers i like it um i mean i don't know just it's got to be rowdier than last game right like i know that the atmosphere um you know was so great it it can only get better right um so that that's where the one thing i think i know is uh, i think the i think the crowd at ford field forces
0: at least three false start penalties it's I'm very curious at what the environment's going to be like compared to last week, because last week was not only the first home. I mean, there's a lot of firsts, right? It was the first home playoff game. It was the first, um, you know, is welcoming Matthew Stafford, welcoming Matthew Stafford back. Um, it, it felt like the first of many um, or the, you know, the I don't know. It just it felt like it was new novel, that sort of thing. Some of that might wear off in a week, but obviously the stakes are also way higher. Um and so i don't like my guess is it'll be about the same but i don't know it it's also not going to be a night game i don't know but the, the rams did a really good job i thought of of handling that it, you can make the argument that the lions fans caused two of those timeouts and those turned out to be huge timeouts um but like the no no procedural pre- penalties from from the rams in that game i don't know if the bucks are as well handled Capable of handling that. Mm-hmm.
2: They have a lot of pre-snap penalties on both sides of the ball. <laughs> Great. <laughs> they are a big pre-snap penalty team. Every Todd <laughs> Bulls defense jumps offsides once a game for sure. And then
0: def- <laughs> offensively, both Werfs and Getticke will will move early quite a bit. Well, we'll have to see if this officiating crew knows how to call an offsides versus a false start. <laughs> all right. You can mark that <laughs> off your bingo chart. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll go to you next, John. What is the one thing you think you know about Lions Bucks?
2: Uh, the one thing I think I know is that Laporta Levante David matchup is gonna be the best one to watch on the field. Uh we haven't mm-hmm. talked about it yet. I know this yeah. isn't necessarily like a prediction of a result, but I had to just get this in because last time they battled one of the best individual matchups of the season, any game that I've watched this year. Like it was just awesome because both players are elite. Like Levante David, I said this when he got didn't get picked again for all pro or pro bowl. Like um, then Bobby Wagner did. And I said, like I said, they're not playing the same sport. I didn't mean Bobby Wagner doesn't belong in a football field. That's not for me to decide, but I would say like, if you watch Bobby Wagner each week and what he does, Seattle can't do anything defensively because he can't do anything in coverage. He doesn't do it. Like he just literally exists in the middle of the field and that's it. And anything I ask him to do, he gets torn apart. Levante David is like outside against Philadelphia, covering Dallas Goddard on like vertical routes, like down the field. Like he's playing corner. Like he has corner snaps this year. And so – He's just a totally different animal. He's a valuable player on a level that Wagner just isn't and hasn't been for years, frankly, but nobody really knows football, I guess, so they don't vote him that way. But <laughs> he, I'm very testy about the whole of Andy David thing. He is an unbelievable player and an unbelievably well-rounded player. Um, and so, yeah, he... that matchup against Laporta I think Laporta was targeted six times I think he caught three of them they're almost all contested it was just like Laporta got his wins David got his wins there was a bunch of routes they weren't thrown to and they were just battling it out uh, like 1v1 all game and it was just awesome and it harkened me back to David against Kelsey in the Super Bowl and David taking Kelsey away and the Chiefs you know not being able to be successful because it was like a big thing and so how that matchup goes because I, I I thought Laporta I think everybody who's read my stuff knows I thought Laporta was tight end two coming out of the draft behind Kincaid that was a massive phantom I said he was closer to tight end one than tight end six where people had him I think he could be the best tight end of the game eventually there's no real weakness there um, so that matchup of uh, oh, the old head against the young buck uh, mm-hmm. is just like
0: absolutely a point television to me nice I love it Um, and it's so fascinating to me because yeah I've been a huge fan of Levante David and and for him to be so good and yet as you said the Bucks not so good at defending up the middle I don't I don't understand how to circle that square it doesn't make sense to me the scheme is just very predictable (laughs) defensively so teams know
2: what's going to happen if they can pick up the blitz they know where to attack and that's that's kind of hurt them a good bit
0: all right the one thing I think I know about this game and I'm going to make it very simple I think the line is too high in this game. I think a six and a half point favorite for the Lions is is too high. I think I think the Bucks are going to get theirs on offense. I think the Lions are going to get theirs on offense. Um, but to me, I, I just the Lions haven't blown a team out since the Broncos game, I guess. And it just, I, to me, it just they're not playing as well as they did at the beginning of the season. They're not playing as bad as they were in the middle of the season, but. I just this doesn't seem like a matchup where there's an obvious tilt to the lines. I, th- I think both teams should be able to throw the ball fairly well. The Lions have obviously a much better chance at running successfully than the Bucks do, but I don't think they're going to see it like I don't, I'd don't, i be very surprised. I don't think they're going to get held to 40 yards like they did last time, like like John. But I also don't think they're going to rack up 120 like it's it's there's going to be a middle ground there like 80 maybe. And is that enough to make a huge difference and have them win by a touchdown or more? I don't think so. I think this is going to be a, a three, four point game. I'm still picking the Lions to win. So if we want to call this a, a parlay here, I'm taking I'm taking the Bucks plus six and a half and I'm still taking the Lions money line here. But this is the most I've talked about gambling on a podcast before for someone who doesn't gamble on sports. Um, I, I'm just I'm a little bit surprised by how that how big that line opened at and the fact that it stayed that high. So that's the one thing I think I know about this game. Thoughts, Mr. Gambler, Ryan. Go Lions. All right. <clears throat> Before we get out of here, we got to give John the the mic one more time to let him promote his stuff where they can find you. All sorts of content that's available via you. Uh, take the floor. Where Where can they find you?
2: Well, none of this is gonna make much sense to people, but I do this part-time now. I used to do it full time, and now I do something else full time and I do this part-time. It does it's not gonna sound like it when I talk about all the different things that I do, but yeah, <laughs> I write for the Pride of Detroit newsletter, I write for Arrowhead, pride like that newsletter as well for SP Nation. And so I'm talking writing Chiefs and watching tape on Chiefs and Lions each week. I write all 22 reviews on those, as, as most of you probably know. Um, I do an Audibles and analytics podcast. It's a subscriber podcast on my Substack. Uh, it is like five dollars a month or fifty dollars for the whole year it's like as cheap as setting as i could make it on Substack, i think basically um and it's just like basically on there like i talk once a week about the box on the podcast and then once or twice a week ollie Connolly. if people follow him on twitter he's unbelievable football mind we talk nfl big picture stuff so we did talk about this matchup today on a podcast that went up we talked we talk about each team in the off season as well long term what the outlooks are and things like that so uh we'll do that as well and then yeah if there's any steeler fans for whatever reason in here yin's no ball podcast A couple times a week with Brad Spielberger of PFF, we break down the Steelers pretty in depth. So a lot of different stuff. I don't know how much of it's going to be of interest to Lions fan, but the audibles and analytics NFL part of it. If people like the league as a whole and knowing what's going on and lots of draft talk, uh, that'll be a
0: good one for them. I didn't, I didn't realize you did that with Brad. He's a Bears yeah. guy, though, isn't he? What's What's he doing? Talking. He's to a Bears football? guy. He's
2: moving to Pittsburgh here in the near oh. future
0: um, as his wife finishes her
2: uh, medical residency, I believe. And so he's going to be moving to the area. But also, we've been friends for a long time. He does Pittsburgh radio every week. And so oh. when I wanted to start a Steeler pod, I just asked him if he'd do it with me.
0: And he was like, eh, heck, yeah, let's do it. That's awesome. Brad's great. He's been he's been yeah. very kind to Pride of Detroit over the years, too, so. Um, that's awesome john appreciate you making even more time for us because you do a, a phenomenal job with the newsletter and I, I again i i anyone who doesn't subscribe to the newsletter yet i i do we put a lot of heart and, and soul into that thing um and and it's going to continue through the off season as well and we'll we'll kick right back into uh our current format when when the regular season starts again next year so um john appreciate the time ryan appreciate your time too i don't know if i say that every week but i appreciate your time as well you're welcome Thanks, right. Sherry. I appreciate you uh, proofing my way more than 750 words each week for the newsletter. <laughs> oh, dude, it's it's worth it. It's worth it just to read it before anyone else gets it. I, I feel special in that way. Um, but thank you all for listening as well. Uh, we'll be doing a post game full pod, probably since it's not a clock game, thankfully. And uh, we'll do man sim on Saturday morning, all that sort of stuff. Fun stuff. Make sure you're following us on all the socials, Twitch, YouTube as well. But until next time, it's chaos. Be kind.